Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach, and Adam, welcome to the year 2021. We need uh, we need some there. trumpets. We need, we need some fanfare here. Now, <laughs> is this year going to be better? Uh, who knows, Zach? I mean, it, we, we've been doing this for the last couple of years and saying like, oh, well, next year, blah, 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 blah. But I mean, who knows? I've who got knows? A, I've got to hope that we're at least on par. Uh, uh, for... Please, please, for the love of God, can we get a better year? Uh, and, and, you know, you'd like to be able to say it can't get worse. But you know, it can. So let's just try and be optimistic. And, uh, and you know, what's great. We got some good stuff today on the show. Yeah. What are we doing? We're kicking off the year with like some big classic stories that everyone cares about. Uh, something that <laughs> that's what we're doing, right? Like well... I'm not mistaken, Adam, we're, we're doing, we're doing important stories that the people <laughs> love, right? I don't, I mean, I, I really liked a lot of what we're talking about today, um, but I had not heard of most of it aside from the first one, because um, all of these are in Marvel fanfare. And uh, I, I, aside from the first story, I hadn't read these. Um, this is, well, we got into Marvel fanfare with our, our blob episode uh, last week. And, yeah, uh, and it was it, pretty decent. It that was. was a good little one-off. It was, and I found similarly that the, these uh, stories were interesting too. So, um, who requested this first story of ours? Well, the first story, which is Marvel Fanfare one through four, or at least it was printed in Marvel Fanfare one through four. Uh, there's multiple stories in that, but uh, it was requested by Garrett Rooney, and it is a Chris Claremont comic with some. Great artistic talents. Michael Golden on the first two issues. Mm -hmm. uh, Dave Cockrum on the uh, third. And uh, Paul, Paul Smith on the fourth. Yeah. So, yeah. The, I art, mean, like, the arts was like, okay, let's let's get into this. Because I, I when, recalled this just being drawn by Michael Golden. And then when Cockrum showed up on the third one, I was like, whoa, the boys are back. <laughs> yeah. When... Uh, when Michael Golden is the worst artist in yeah. your rotation here, you're doing okay. Exactly. <laughs> I, and and Terry Austin is just killing it with the inks. Um, I think Golden is doing his own stuff, but Terry Austin, I love it when he pairs up with uh, with Paul Smith. So it, it was great to to see these these classic artists team up on this story. Um, Bob McCloud inks Dave Cockrum just to uh, yeah, just in case we needed more X Men uh, all stars, on right? This. Yeah. Um, now I don't I don't know the publishing history of this. So was this like last week we talked about Fanfare as being like a home to titles that um, were were sort of fill in issues for the regular titles? Was this originally supposed to be an uncanny arc? I. I don't know, but I wouldn't think so for reasons I will get to in just a second. Okay. Uh, so 
Marvel Fanfare was something that Al Milgram, as an editor, put together. It was a prestige format, a little bit nicer stock, uh, better covers. Uh, it had he he offered a increased page rate to writers and artists for that oh. book. He was approved to do that. Nice. And it was it was an anthology series, uh, occasionally with through lines. But it was definitely a landing ground for uh, for inventory stories. And that's something that Milgram talks about in one of our later uh, stories. He does little one page comics uh, just talking about what he was uh, what he was doing in them. Yeah, the uh, the editory owls, uh, which are yes, which are <laughs> they're pretty fun. You know, it, it's got that whole Marvel Age uh, feel to it. You know, but he definitely used inventory stuff. And I'm gonna be real, uh, we don't talk about how Chris Claremont had in a, a pretty long run on Marvel Team Up featuring Peter Parker Spider Man, mm-hmm. but especially the first two. Because this, this story really does feel like two issues definitely go together, and they're the ones the Spider-Man are in. Right. And then the next two are a sequel to that with the X-Men in it mm-hmm. that has some of the same through lines with Sauron and the Savage Land Mutates. Uh, but I would not be shocked if this was a... Uh, a failed this crossover? Was a Marvel... I wouldn't be shocked if the first two were a Marvel team-up thing that Claremont and uh, Michael Golden did mm-hmm. uh, that just didn't make it to print for whatever reason, and they used it here. And then he said, well, I'll just I'll write a couple. Hey, Dave, you want to you do this? I know you're slow, so you're perfect for this book that's you know 150% <laughs> page rates. And, oh, this Paul Smith kid, I bet he's going to be pretty good. Well, that that is uh, a pretty good description because there there is a disjointed quality to this. Um, should we talk about the basic premise of this? Because this is an angel story. It is. This is a. It's a story about angel and a story about Sauron and Sauron's so and Sauron's wife or or girlfriend or or partner. Oh yeah, Tanya. Yes, uh, Sauron. Sauron's childhood best friend slash love interest. Who appears in the Silver Age story with Sauron? This story, and never again, to my knowledge. Oh, poor Tanya. I don't remember the next time Sauron actually shows up. He seems like he seems like he would be a guy that uh, just kind of like jobs around in other Marvel books that I didn't read. You know, it would be wild if if he. I'd have to go back and look, but I wonder if he doesn't appear in between this and when he comes back in X-Force. He's got to come back at some point, right? Yeah, it's X-Force. X-Force, apparently, X-Force number five is where she dies. Oh, right, uh, right, yeah. She was killed when the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants forced Carl Lycos into a machine and transformed him into Sauron with her energy. So he ate her, and that's terrible. Oh, Jesus. Oh man! Come on, Toad! Don't <laughs> don't do that to people. Well, we do have um, this is a callback to the Silver Age story with Magneto's mutates. So um, we, if if you weren't familiar with the Silver Age version of these uh, characters, um, you are familiar with Vertigo, um, and you the probably only, the only good one. You probably remember Zaladane and what what is the the guy with the big noggin? Um, brainchild brainchild they all pop back in the the uncanny always, 275 range with uh savage land rogue 
I always remember Amphibious. Yeah. He's a, <laughs> of all of them, he's the one I think of because he's a frog with a like a like a jetpack looking thing on yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. He's 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 getting around town. Um, They're but, all bad but characters, though. This story starts with uh, with Carl Lycos. Um, he he's fine, right? Like, yeah, he, he's, he's he's good. Living the he's life after the Silver Age stuff. Yeah, so he's doing okay. Um, but these mutates, they're they're not super happy. So um, Angel is helping out with his finances and his resources uh, to go look for Carl with Tanya. And who gets to hang out, I guess, for reasons that involve journalism, but Peter Parker. And... Intrepid photojournalist <laughs> Peter J. Parker. <laughs> and, of course, they crash in the Savage Land and are turned into, well, well, sp- well, they, no, they're both turned into sort of like monster people things. Yeah, Peter Parker's turned into a man spider, which is like, <laughs> okay, yeah, that makes sense. And Angel's turned into a hawk man, hmm. which is pretty funny. Yeah, there's uh, got to be some kind of bird, I guess. He's got to be he's got to be some kind of some kind of avian monster. <laughs> uh, but they get the the Savage Land mutates uh, put them through the same uh, same kind of mutant machine, I guess, that Magneto used. Sure. Kind of. It doesn't sure. make much sense. They strap him to a metal plate and, and go wunga wunga wunga. And <laughs> anyway, we're in the Savage Land. But so who should show up? But Kazar. Yeah. And Zabu. And his knife I mean, from L.L. Bean. <laughs> did you catch that? He's talking I did not about. Catch that. Yeah, well, that happens later, but he stabs Sauron at one point and he says that, like, he thanks L.L. Bean for this amazing knife. I'm like, what? <laughs> Are you telling on? me that Lord Kevin Plunder maybe uh, shops, uh, you know, like, through a catalog or yes, something? Yes, yes, it's got to be it. Um, Man, I do love, I do love Kazar. He's great. Uh, Sheena is is in this too, um, just a little bit, but is is a, a, a sort of devolved version of herself. Um, Tanya is also like made back into a troglodyte of some kind, because um, I, I guess once Spidey kind of gets beat, he disappears, and then the the rest of the Uncanny team show up to save the day. Because Carl Lycos yeah, so- turns back into Sauron. And that's the that's the big thing at the end of issue two. Carl Lycos absorbs the power, or the mutant stuff from Tanya, uh, to give up his humanity and become a paradactyl man again. <laughs> Which, listen, I I stare at a picture of Sauron every day in my office, right here as I'm recording. It is two and a half feet from my face. Is he? So hypno- I think about Sauron. Is he hypnotizing no. you, Zach? <laughs> no, no, but he is. He is making Glob Herman regret so many choices. <laughs> it's I I only have two pieces of comics pages on my wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is Glob Herman immediately regretting every bad decision he's made and going <laughs> down the path of maybe I'll stop being a jerk. And the other one is Cable and Hope hugging, uh, which kind of tells you a lot about me personally. These are good pages to own. I, I think you've they, made good decisions. They are good pages. But <laughs> at the end of at the end of this one, uh, Spider-Man and Angel leave the Savage Land. And Angel says, well, I guess we got to deal with the Savage Land mutates. Right. I'll call, I'll call the X-Men. I'll call Dave really Cockerham. Let's anymore. get some let's get some great art going on here. 
Yeah, so then Storm and Nightcrawler and Colossus and Wolverine show up, Mm -hmm. and Claremont had forgotten that he had two more issues of plot to do. I'm going to be very real. Gosh, the the amount of text in these is really, really something else, too, because... The, between the narration and the the like really gigantic endless word bubbles, there's a lot on each page. So he's he's treading water a little bit. He he is because he's using a lot of words to say very little <laughs> on this one. And I I understand this is this is more or less a standalone story using some weird continuity stuff. It it. It is X-Men, but it doesn't feel like X-Men, especially not the Chris Claremont X-Men. Mm. Uh, it, it doesn't feel like that stuff. Because, I mean, he only used the Savage Land twice in 17 years. And the first time, he was still, like, getting getting his feet under him. <laughs> right, right. I guess it was three times. There was that annual. But this that doesn't matter. Yeah. So, the, they have some trouble mutating the X-Men. Um Works a little bit, doesn't work, Storm resists it, um, and it, eventually it all works out. Um, and they, they manage to cure Carl Lycos, and uh, everybody goes home happy, you know? Right? Yeah, it's very funny that the uh, that this is a Dave Cocker and Paul Smith uh, story where the villain does say, well, Storm, she is so beautiful that I, I do not know how I can uh, deal with her. I do not want to hurt her. She is my true love. And I was like, you're brainchild. You're not, you don't have a chance with Aurora Monroe. Yeah, it's a little unfortunate that the uh, brainchild does resort to dressing uh, Storm up, you know, as as uh, Princess Leia style chainmail costume. Um, yeah, that's not great. It doesn't add anything to the story. But um, again, like there's a lot of just sort of like peddling and saying, okay, well, there's there's some pages we got to fill here. It's weird. This whole story feels like it's it's like you feel like you have to read it because it's Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum and Paul Smith and Michael Golden and Bob McCloud and Terry Austin is like, "Okay, maybe I should read this 1982 Chris Claremont X-Men comic. I bet there's value in it." <laughs> and then there's just not. I mean, it's just <sighs> This is this is probably the worst thing Claremont put out in 1982. It's tough because it does look fantastic, um, beautiful. It's it's really great artwork all the way through. Uh, if you're a fan of any of these artists, you'll want to check this out. But you know, the story is about two issues worth of content stretched across four, so it really doesn't need to be as long as it is. You know, like. it's like oh we're gonna we're gonna do the mutate ray thing to you and then next issue we'll do it again and it it just gets a little bit old so it's not the greatest thing in the world but if you're an x-men completist like you'll probably want to check it out yeah i think that's exactly uh exactly where i'd want to land on that one uh they do all have wraparound covers which is neat hmm yeah, the, the format of the of the books really shines. Um, I just like it. it. It really does have like sort of a, a prestige quality to it. Um, but like you said, the story, eh, it's okay. So uh, it's we should probably figure out where this lands on our giant list. What do you think? Are you talking about our very, very long list that we do have of every X-Men story that has ever existed 
of all time ranked from best to worst? I think I think I am. It's a big list at this point. It is a big list. Adam, do you want to venture a guess on how many stories long this big list is? We're up to 450 stories, Zach. That's crazy. We're at 450. We're on that road to 500. We are. We're, we're gonna we're gonna uh, get into the back 50 of, of the 400s here. I'm impressed with ourselves. We have. Let's let's give us a pat on the back specifically because I think we, Adam, we deserve it. We the people <laughs> have done a great job here. Uh, but no, you're right. There are 450 stories on this list. The number one story is House of X: Powers of Ten. The number 100 story is Ultimate X Men One through Six: The Tomorrow People. Uh, the 200 story is Exiles One and Two. The 300th story on this list is Uncanny X-Men 281 to 283, Bishop's Crossing. Uh, Number 400 on our list is Marvel Mangaverse X-Men. 450 is the Draco. Do you think, Adam, that Jim Belushi would like Marvel Mangaverse X-Men? Yes or no? (laughs) I don't know. Sure. Why not? (laughs) Did you not see that Jim Belushi's getting into anime? Oh, I thought he meant John Belushi. I was like, wait, he's dead. No, John Belushi. John Belushi's not with us. We have his worst younger brother, Jim, from according to Jim, the TV show that I somehow watched. Hey, listen, a lot of credit to Jim Belushi. He's in Twin Peaks season three, and he's pretty great in it. So, if he wants to get into anime, God bless him. Look, I hope. I hope. I hope we get Neo Genesis Evangelion fan Jim Belushi. Uh, like I hope when they do do a live action version of that, we get Jim Belushi in some role. That'd be maybe great. An angel. That'd be great. He could maybe he's like a voice of a monster or something. Yes, that'd be good. <laughs> um, All right, two hundred on our list. We said is uh, that Exile story. I don't think it's as good as the first arc of Exiles. No, in fact, um, the last Marvel fanfare story we ranked was Blob and Unis versus the Hulk which is in Marvel Fanfare 7. I like that one better, honestly. It was it was a really nice um, ode to friendship, I thought. Whereas this is a little more meandering. I agree with that. Uh, what's at 250 on this? Uh, special Okay, 250 is Special Edition X-Men number one, uh, which is a backup that I like better. Okay. Similarly, a weird completionist thing. Yeah, I... I you know, I don't want to put it too low because I do think that, you know, we, we have some very high quality people working on this. It is very fun to look at. Um, but like you said, to read, um, it's it's not always that great. So 263 I'm looking at is Phalanx Covenant Final Sanction, mm-hmm. which I think I enjoy better. That's the Wolverine and Cable part of Phalanx Covenant. And that's that's just like good fun comics. Yeah, it has Cable with the largest gun I think Cable's ever been drawn with. Yeah, but I would I would put it ahead of two sixty five, which is X Men one eighteen one nineteen, the Submergence of Japan, which is kind of like I'd subpar, put, you know, Claremont Burn era. I'd put it above that first pretty long arc of the Marjorie Lou Astonishing X Men. There we go. That's uh, a good place as well. For the it. Karma one. Yes. So this would be. Uh, 264 yeah check that one out guys uh especially if you are a dave cockrum fan uh and a paul smith fan and a michael golden fan all right adam 
you know how uh, there are some stories that I've wanted to talk about for a while? <laughs> is this one of them? This is one of them because it's so weird. This one is I picked, bonkers. I picked this up out of a long box not knowing what this was one day. And I said, oh, there's a, the, there's Magneto and Roger on this cover. I will, I will uh, read this and buy it for 50 cents. And I did. And I am so glad I did. Because the uh, the story in this is by Chris Claremont with pencils by June Brinkman, who's mm-hmm. great. We yeah. talked about June a lot in our uh, Power Pack episodes. June's great. Terry Austin does the inks here. Glennis Oliver on those colors. Uh, this is Marvel Fanfare 33. And when I said inventory issues were something that happened here, this is one that's explicitly an inventory issue because Al Milgram at the beginning of this said, yeah, what do you? What did you want me to do? We had a Chris Claremont and June Brigman X Men comic sitting around. <laughs> did you want me to not, not publish, publish this? Because I feel like you wanted me to publish this one, folks. Oh, I'm glad they did because this is pool party at Octopusheim, and um, you you said something very intriguing about this issue before we went on the air. So you got to give me a little bit more. What is the backstory of this? Because the villain is this kind of like Mysterio type character um, that I've the chief examiner. I don't remember seeing the chief examiner before or since. So do you know the name Scott Adams? Oh, the, the Dilbert MAGA guy. (laughs) Yes. So there's a different Scott Adams. Oh, thank God. Also works in computer programming. I got very scared for a second. Oh, thank goodness. Uh, I did look it up. Uh, Who made a lot of, uh, graphical text-based adventure games in the 1980s nice so you know like quark or whatever it was (laughs) like games where you were told you died of dysentery yes it's this is this these are the these are precursors to like oregon trail even these are these are old games got it uh and there were three games that his company put out. Mm-hmm. Quest Probe featuring the Hulk. Quest Probe featuring Spider-Man. And Quest Probe featuring Human Torch and Thing because they were like, well, we'll just take the popular Fantastic Four characters, I guess. Okay. Uh, and Scott Adams did a lot of uh, things before and after this. Uh, but his company, Adventure International, went under uh, before they could complete the fourth game. Uh, and that fourth game was X Men. Ah! In fact, in fact, this was supposed to be a twelve-issue miniseries. No. Uh, they put out Hulk and uh, Spider-Man and uh, the mini FF one. Like those are real comics called Quest Probe that you can just get. Uh, and they all involve this character from Quest Probe, the Chief Examiner. Yeah. Coming down. And it's kind of like scanning them with this like siege perilous type window, them, yes, right? Yeah, it's weird. Uh, he's making the he's making them do logic puzzles. Uh, <laughs> is really what he does because again, he's the antagonist of a text based adventure game. <laughs> yeah, and he's gone to Magneto's Octopus Island. Mm-hmm. He's picked Where? a great time to go because we've got uh, we've got Storm, Colossus, Rogue, Wolverine, and Kitty Pride, and Lee Forrester. Uh, yeah, this is like it's a 
Great cast. Somewhere between Uncanny 201 and 212. Right, because like, Mag- Magneto has uh, taken over the Xavier school. The X-Men mm-hmm. are still a little distrustful, but are like, okay, we'll go on vacation. That's cool. But all of a sudden, all the statues start coming alive and turning them basically into stone. And it's up yeah. to Rogue uh, to defeat this dude uh, or this thing um, by absorbing the powers of previously scanned heroes that you just mentioned. So she gets the powers of the Hulk. She gets the powers of Spider-Man. She gets the power of the human torch and she gets to use them to defeat the villain. Yeah. And it's very weird. (laughs) It's very weird. Uh, It definitely feels like this is issue four of a series because they do not explain any of this within the text of the comic well yeah there is some like there's especially one or two pages of like tons of info dump on like who is this guy what's the backstory because it's it's him but he also has a double and the double is trying to stop the other one and it's very confusing for a character that you've never met before yeah, again, it feels like you should have played three video games before playing this. Or <laughs> this is this the final book. round. This is the boss level. It's just a boss level because, again, they were going to do 12 issues of this. I can't that imagine that. That implies 12 videos, James. There's just not enough content here. Like, you know, the, <laughs> the rogue stuff is kind of fun because she gets to, you know, play around with the powers of each other. Magneto is is also the other main character here. Um you know, trying to face off against this entity at the same time that it's trying to get to know it. But it's a real confusing jumble. Um, I, I did like the artwork, though. It's great seeing Brigman and Austin working with Claremont here. Yeah, it's uh, it's good that she is uh, drawing this because she looks great. I like June Brigman. I like her work. Claremont is doing his whole thing. Uh and it's a it's just so weird i don't understand how this comic exists it's very strange and i get the idea that like you don't want to leave this issue sitting around because it is extremely well drawn it's it's you know a great cast it's it's got your favorite x-men in it so i get why you would publish it but it's just so weird especially when it tries to explain itself and it doesn't make any damn sense yeah apparently i'm finding out as i dig into things about the chief examiner uh he appears one more time in continuity really they brought him back yes uh and that is in a and I am not joking about this one Here because boy, does it feel like I'd be joking about this. Okay. In an infinity war tie in. Oh boy. Of Quasar. <laughs> okay. Written by Mark Grunewald. <laughs> great. Cool. Good job, Mark. Uh, great, I feel like great that you found that's that. a very, that's a very Mark Grunewald move. <laughs> I, like, this is the kind okay, of thing yeah. that, like, I, I feel like Al Ewing might, like, pluck out of obscurity or, like, Chip Zdarsky, like, and just bring Al it back. Al Ewing and, and Mark Grunewald are not dissimilar. <laughs> they aren't the same, but they have... 
they're both like better Roy Thomases in that they like continuity a lot. Yeah. They like to do fun things with it. Where Roy Thomas just liked continuity a lot. That's the important part is the fun thing. Yeah. Roy doesn't always get that so much. So yeah, this one, um, oh man, it's, it's very, very strange. And, uh, I don't even know if I could recommend it. It's just such an odd thing. Um, I don't think it's as good as the Savage Land book we just talked about. I would not recommend it to anyone who has listened to this episode because I think the most entertaining thing about it for me has been going down the rabbit holes of understanding what in the world this comic is, getting it blind and knowing that I know a lot about X-Men, but this confounds me. <laughs> right. and how could how could this confound me? How could I how could I not be able to place this? Because it's it's not just a weird story. It's all very intentional and very specific. Mm-hmm. There's a structure to it. There's something behind it. So I was enamored by learning what? Because you got the weird octopus island. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Magneto apparently just has a summer home and like a pool on yeah, now. Yeah, sure. Which he's, is good for him. Just chilling. Jonathan Hickman picked that up and said, yeah, that's Magneto's chill island. He's been <laughs> he's been vibing there for a while. Deal with it. Uh, you have that. You have the quest probe stuff. Like it's. The problem, the problem is that book. everything you just described about like, you know, going online and finding out what led to this book, none of that's in the story. So, oh, no, it, none of it, it. it, you know, your enjoyment of it is definitely going to be uh, doing the research outside of it. So um, as a standalone issue, I, I can't really recommend it. And I think I would put it lower than 264, which is uh, that Savage Land story we just talked about. Yeah, I don't think you're uh, wrong on that one, Adam. Uh, But how much lower do you think you would put it? Well, it's kind of got that weird, like, almost a Heroes for Hope type of, like, oddity that you might want to seek out just because it's so strange. Um, Yes, they are, they are, they are, they are akin to one another. Yeah, I mean, that is all the way down at 384. I, I, that's not wrong i don't think it's terrible by any stretch of the imagination it's just kind of a mess um but like at 373 we've got wildcats i, I was that's just fair. thinking about that and i think i would revisit wildcats before i revisited this i think star trek x-men and star trek the next generation slash x-men second contact uh which are just a few spots below that mm-hmm. they're better than this yeah uh we talked about that Wolverine Santa Claus story recently. I like this better than that. Uh, and I would like it better than the X-Men and Weapon X Noirs that we have at 395 and 396. Um, I Is it better than that weird X-Men story with... Uh... Uh, with, with the multi-dimensional Jean Greys. Yes. It's just as messy, but I like this more. We've got a great artist on it. And uh, there is some actual fun action in this. So I've given the, given the edge to the Marvel fanfare story. It's not better than Onslaught X-Men X-Force. X-Men X-Force. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna put de- Definitely putting it above uh, 393. We have the first six issues of Emma Frost solo, uh, which I'm not a huge fan of. So... Well, this... Luckily, my friends who are a huge fan of that don't listen to podcasts, so <laughs> they can pretend they do not see it. Oh, but no, I agree. This can be our new three ninety three. All right, 
now I think we got to talk about the star of the show here. Um, this last issue is I've known about mainly just because of the cover, but this had, this is just delightful. Um, yeah. So this actually <laughs> is two different, uh, shorter stories, mm-hmm. uh, that are in one issue, but we're going to cover them both because they are X-Men related. We're going to rank them as the same because that's what we've done for these anthologies in the past. And we're not going to change it now because that seems like a lot of work. So uh, this is Marvel Fanfare 40 has a beautiful David Maschelli cover. Uh, Innocenti writes the first issue with David on, uh, on art uh, and then the second part uh, is a Chris Claremont, Craig Hamilton story. Uh, let's talk about Anacenti. Yeah, let's, because you've been actually delving into one of my favorite comic runs lately. Uh, the Nacenti JRJR run, right? And I, I, I your mileage is varying on this, correct? Yes, I read I read all of the Nacenti Daredevil starting with the when JRJR gets on the book because that's what Marvel Unlimited has. Yep. Uh, it's a, isn't it shocking that all of Daredevil is not on Marvel Unlimited? Like I get why Marvel Fanfare does not have a complete run on MU, but it's Daredevil. Like let's get all like, of Daredevil well, on there. I feel like Daredevil should have everything on there. I understand why like I understand why Daredevil that's not Frank Miller's Daredevil isn't the priority. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, up to a certain point. Yeah. Uh, but there's there's good stuff there. I liked the Nascenti Daredevil run. I It's weird. It's very weird, a right? Lot, a lot of my enjoyment comes out of uh, John Romita Jr. doing some really stellar art in it. Thank you. Nascenti... Nascenti is very cognizant of social issues, uh, but she is not subtle in any way, shape, or form. No. And I think that's one of the first things we established on this podcast. <laughs> um, and I think that works on occasion. And then other times, Anne Nascenti is using a like big old ballot to talk about a million different social issues at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's not focused enough criticism to work a hundred percent of the time when she gets better at it or when she gets more focused, it works a lot better. Uh, but then she also very, very definitely decides she doesn't care about writing daredevil, uh, for about a year of her run. And instead it's like, man, I want to, I want to follow up on that inhumans graphic novel that <laughs> I wrote. Yes. Uh, and I guess I have this Daredevil book to do that in. So now Karnak is going to hang out with Daredevil and a super bimbo named Number Nine. Who yes, is the most delightful character that y'all. I think I've talked about. Have is, I talked about Number Nine on this show before? I feel like I, I don't did. Think I I was unaware. I was unaware of the existence of Number Nine, and I was unaware that she was going to be like a supporting um, yeah. character in Daredevil for like twenty issues. Yeah, kind of crazy, right? Um, she's good. I, I think I may have mentioned her when we did God's country. Um, the Colossus Marvel comics presents because I do still, I have a, I have a number nine pitch and, uh, I I will save that one. Yes. Yes. I want to, (laughs) I'm not going to share that, but I do want to one day, uh, explore that. I can tell you (laughs) that unless you become 
let you do anything rich and <laughs> talented and famous in comics, which I hope you do. It's never going to happen. But unless unless that day comes, I can't imagine. No, can you that, imagine? That Marvel is going to be like, man, we really want to put out your number nine miniseries. <laughs> this is a great pitch, Adam. We think it has commercial appeal. Yeah, since everybody knows. And you, a cis straight white man, is definitely the person we want to tell <laughs> this this story about – this character who deals with uh, Anne Nascenti's <laughs> conflicting feelings, not about uh, women's rights, but about the effectiveness of the feminist movement in the uh, mid to late 80s. Man, I, now I want to go back to what you said earlier, which is that, you know, like Nascenti sometimes gets in her own way um, as, yes. a, as a writer because there's there's sometimes too many competing things as part of the, the storytelling. Um, l- let's focus on this particular one. This is just a beaut. Uh, oh, gorgeous. It is Matza Kelly. Um, you know, I think if you are only familiar with Matza Kelly from Daredevil Born Again, you really need to look at the entire breadth of his work from Born Again all the way th- from his early Daredevil stuff all the way through, like, let's say, Asterios Polyp, um, his original graphic novel. The range of what Matsu Kelly is capable of is unmatched. He is an absolute master of his craft. And to see him do this short, which is essentially about Angel falling from the sky out of, I guess, a battle with Mysterio, it's kind of implied. Sure, whatever. Doesn't matter at all because the story is about this lonely grandma who's so fed up she almost decides to kill herself in the garage and turns it around because an angel, a literal angel lands in her backyard and she stitches him back together, gives him an apple and sends him on his way. And it's one of the most beautiful, like Marvel's esque vignettes. It would have made such an amazing classic X-Men vignette, you know? Oh yeah. And maybe by, by 88, were they, uh, had they stopped doing the backups in, uh, in, uh, classic X-Men? I, I'd have point? to look because classic X-Men or X-Men classic stops doing them somewhere in the forties, I think. Um, so it might, right after dark Phoenix saga. Yeah. Ends. might be around the same time. Um, but this is too long to be a backup story in, in classic X-Men anyway. True. You know? Um, but it's so beautiful. Like the, the artwork is probably a little bit more in line with like Batman year one, um, mm-hmm. than it, than it is the, what, what you might be familiar with from his Marvel work. And it's just gorgeous. He's doing his own colors here. Um, it, it it's so amazing. I, I, yeah, this one's, this is a good one, uh, that, that, uh, they did in the, uh, the thing is, the second part of this, the second story in here, normally with anthologies, it's mixed. This one's also very good. Uh, it's Chris Claremont and Craig Hamilton doing a story about Storm meeting Mystique in a seedy bar. Uh, and instead of doing a big fight, Mystique just wants to talk. Mm-hmm. And she wants to talk about Rogue and make sure Rogue is okay. This is an interesting one um a i just want to point out that the beginning of this story of storm going into this like seedy borderline 
like punk slash potentially S&M club is very similar to what he tries to do again in extreme X-Men um, with, right? Like it's, it's yeah, the exact actually. same thing. Um, but here it works. And uh, the, the reason it works is because mystique is here to both provoke and to, to negotiate almost um, and she does it by becoming an extremely provocative version of it's like punk storm plus one. Right. Right. Uh, and the conversation is very much tied into continuity. This is about um, the power nullifier, which is eventually going to take storms powers away and uh, ends with a beautiful meet um between mystique and destiny uh and and you know what they want for their future with each other and with rogue uh, it's it's a it's a really good story <laughs> i feel like if more people if if this story was in uncanny x-men proper no one would have ever 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 debated that story that mystique and destiny were not incredibly married exactly yeah I they mean, are incredibly married in this story yes like it has the comics code authority sticker on it but they didn't check this one very closely no and uh, there's a couple of really interesting things going on in this story um one is the way in which because there, there's two scenes here. We've got our Storm stuff, and then we've got Mystique going back to Destiny. So with yep. Storm, I find what's really interesting about it is that obviously when Storm changed her look, this was something that was viewed as sort of like shocking uh, to her, mm-hmm. her colleagues, especially with Kitty Pride. And her relationship with Kitty Pride is also called into question. So there's this bit of a, of a sort of a, what's the word I'm looking for? like an attack on who storm is and, and what she claims to be um, throughout right. that conversation. And then we, we, when we get storm out of the picture, there's this very interesting page where mystique walks through a crowd and changes what she looks like as she's walking across the dance floor. She's fluid in her, she describes it as being fluid physically, being fluid with her gender, being fluid with everything to the point where um, at the end, after they have this like this very romantic moment, a uh, tender moment, um, and, and they're holding hands at a, at a small table at the bar, Mystique transforms into an older man and the mm-hmm. two of them end the story dancing. Um, it's just a really interesting visually and as, as, as a piece of writing about gender construct, um, you know, about the way they're being perceived about the way they're, they're hiding from people, the way they, how much they love each other. It's all there. Um, it's a, it's really interesting. And I'd never heard of this story. Um, uh, from just tweeting about it today, I get the idea that, that people are well aware of this particular, uh, uh, story and fanfare. I think a story like this, it's if if nothing else, it's an inf- interesting refutation of the people who say that people are reading too much into like the queer themes in X Men, right? Uh, from the eighties, or that you know it's these new SJW 
comic book creators who are trying to ruin the X-Men. No, this is this is Storm going to a sex club. Uh, yeah. Uh, and Mystique just being very fluid with her uh, appearance of gender and how she is prescribing herself and showing herself in, in public in this in this club where it would be very okay and normal for two women to, like, dance suggestively. Mm-hmm. Mystique chooses the form of an older man. Yeah. Uh, with destiny to be with destiny. And there's, there's a lot to that. This is a great issue, honestly. Like, I don't know if it, I don't think it's perfect, but I think like, I think this accomplishes everything you want an anthology to do. Mm-hmm. Like this is, these are two stories from two sets of fantastic creators who are telling a story that wouldn't fit anywhere else. Really? I mean, like Claremont could work this scene into it, but it worked. It works very well as a standalone. Like this is just the only thing that's happening in here, and it's not mixed in with stuff with Freedom Force or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I think it's fantastic. So I mean, I'm just looking up the list, and I think this is a top 100 story. I could see that. I could see that. Let me uh, let me see what's. I don't. I don't think it's in the uh, the high 100s. Or in the, I don't, th- I don't think it like seventy five is new X or new mutants legion. And I don't think it goes that high. The Bill Sienkiewicz, Chris Claremont legion story. I think we're in the same realm though. I mean, I'm just looking at this this Matsukeli story, and it's just it's so masterful in the way it does uh, what it does, and the writing, the art. I I will say that my only negative is I don't absolutely love the art on the uh the storm mystique issue it's very good i think it works really well for that particular story but it's not like my favorite thing in the world um i do like the inks on that one. yes like specifically i think the inking on that one is it's there's a lot of heavy shadows and like moody inks Mm -hmm. that go on there and that works really well for me yeah um but I think this is better than like 89, the further adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. I'm going to ask you this one because I know this is one that you will uh, have opinions on. Number 84 is X-Men Alpha Flight. Yeah, I I think it's better than that. Um, I think I think this is better than I think this is better than X-Factor Volume 3, 1 through 6, The Longest Night, which is probably the best part of Peter David's X-Factor. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wouldn't put it above the Shiva scenario from Wolverine. Uh, I might, I don't know. We are in the right spot because I don't like it better than number 78 age of X-Men next gen, but that's a comic that like is almost explicitly made for me. So that, that one, that one's, I, I am a little biased on. I think just judging on the talent involved in this issue, I would put it at 77, which would put it below the jungle adventure and put it above the Asgard Shi'ar war by Jason Aaron and Russell Dodderman from the mighty Thor. Okay, let's do that. Why not? It's a fantastic issue, and I am definitely hunting this down the next time I go long box digging. Oh, this one's this one's great. It's a it's an awesome uh, awesome pick. I know 
I had asked uh, some of our uh, our friends from the Slack uh, if we should do this or Marvel Fanfare 50, which is also a couple of X-Men stories, and it was a unanimous decision. <laughs> they said, no, guys, this one's good. <laughs> the other one's bad. This one's good. Yeah, they were not wrong. Uh, and we should always trust them because they are never wrong. Yeah, none of our none of our friends over at Comics XF are ever ever wrong. Yeah, so talk about this, Zach. We we uh, are the the site is no longer um, Xavier Files. We are Comics XF now. Yeah, Xavier Files died. It's dead, uh, and in its place has risen Comics XF. Uh, it is. I mean, look, it's the same site, same writers. Right now, the same content, more or less. It looks great. It's got a beautiful fresh coat of paint uh there were a lot of people working on that uh the biggest thanks uh goes to jason large uh who put in tireless hours to make that happen uh he spent all of christmas eve night doing that (laughs) he couldn't sleep he tells me i woke up to i woke up to a weird christmas morning where the first thing i found out was that my website was pretty our website was pretty and the second thing I found out that was my sister had COVID. Oof. So that was a weird Christmas morning. Uh, well, I'm sorry for the latter, she's, but grateful for the former. She's she's young and fine, and she's in healthcare. So like, odds were she was getting it. Yeah. Uh, so the fact the fact that it's lasted to December is pretty uh pretty good on her front. Uh, but regardless regardless of any of that, Jason did an incredible job. Uh, Andrea Ayers has been. In a massive support, especially on readability uh, and making sure that this is going to be a site that works for everyone. And then Emily Harding, uh, who helped a lot on some of the graphic design and some of the language uh, for the site and really helped us solidify what we wanted uh, Comics XF to be. Because it's comics mixed with whatever you want it to be. It's it's comics made for... Or comics criticism, reviews, discussions, all that stuff made by fans who just want to kind of like say what they want, but they want to do it good. Actually, <laughs> we want we want to be good at everything we do, which is fun. Uh, so we've got that a lot of good stuff. Uh, podcasts uh, this week. Uh, you can catch me on our sister podcast WMQ and A, talking a lot about kind of the history of how we got to this place and uh, what we're kind of thinking of moving forward. Uh, so go check that out. Dan Grote, Matt Lazowitz, they're uh, they're doing a great, great job dudes. over there. New Jersey for life. Uh, <laughs> geez, you Jersey boys. Uh, we also got we also have uh, Chris's on Infinite Earth. Uh, they are they are there. Uh, you know the Chris's from being on this podcast several times, very recently, uh, both together and separately. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's legitimately one of my favorite podcasts and one of the very few shows that I'll drop anything to check out their latest episode. It's great. Uh, be- because I think they're absolutely delightful. They really, they put I a smile they, on their face every time. They just put out an episode as well, uh, just a few days before this one, about uh, Excalibur Weird War 3. Ooh. So, yeah, that's going to be a weird one. Uh, they Go check that out uh, and check out all the stuff that's going on in the CXF network. Uh, we also have a Patreon. Uh, so this is actually very pertinent to Battle of the Atom listeners. Right. What we have decided to do is we are going to retain the Battle of the Atom Patreon and some of the tiers. Not all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them. So, 
I'm just going to let you guys know the dirty, dirty secret. We have planned out requests until the start of 2023. And that's so buck wild to me that I can't even comprehend it. And I cannot commit to doing a podcast in a couple of years. Like, I don't know. We're planning on it still. We're not going <laughs> to quit. Uh, but that's a lot. Uh, so what we've done, we've pushed up the uh, get an episode on the uh, list uh, tier to $5. And that's the uh, only Boda specific uh, tier. You still get some of the stuff like voting on new stories through the Patreon. You can definitely do that. Uh, early episodes, all that stuff's all there. Uh, but we're we're phasing out the two dollar a month uh, tiers just because we can't keep doing. We can't yeah, commit. Yeah, it's to tough. That. I'm sorry. It's tough. I'm sorry, folks. It's this is this is so we don't disappoint you. Yes, it's getting uh, untenable. We have, <laughs> we have some other really cool tiers that are coming that are going to be more general for Comics XF. Uh, all of the funds from this Patreon will go to support the uh, staff of Comics XF who are putting out incredible work mm-hmm. uh so it's it's going towards uh good independent comics journalism uh that you know it's what the people crave so you can make sure you check that out uh one of the tiers that you might like at the lower level we are uh going to be setting up something where you can have monthly uh there's a monthly uh, zoom hangout call uh with like a q a and all this stuff with a couple of people from the uh site i'm going to be moderating that uh, and we're going to have a few people. So that's anyone at the uh, uh, $9.99 and up tier, uh, the trade paperback tier. So for the price of a trade, you can get that. Uh, for the price of a just floppy, you can get access to an exclusive part of a new thing we have coming with ComicsXF, which is our Discord server. Uh, it hasn't launched yet, so I assume the community is great and awesome. Uh, <laughs> Let's just because, assume it's uh, behaving itself. No, it's going to because uh, Vishal Gulapali, who's one of our writers, is uh, really leading up that side. Uh, the sense of community that we were able to form as writers and podcasters and people in Xavier Files Comics XF uh, was fantastic. I know we've all talked about how that's helped us through the quarantine. Absolutely. So we wanted to make that a bit more of a public thing and help get better spaces to build community. Uh and it couldn't be our Slack because that's where we do work, actually. <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, so we, 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 came up, we came up with uh, this solution. Uh, so go check that out. There's going to be links floating around everywhere uh, on the site, on Twitter. We'll, we'll make sure if you, have, if you need to find it, you can find it. Uh, and then everyone who's doing stuff today, uh, everything you already have through the Patreon exists and will continue to exist and everyone's rewards are going to all be here. Uh, it's just we're changing things for the future. Uh, but seriously, though, want to thank our Patreon supporters like Garrett Rooney, who went on over to patreon.com slash comics XF. Yes, we've changed the URL yet again. Uh, he requested uh, this story, and this was a fun episode to kick off 2021 with. Uh, if you want to be like him, go listen to the last five minutes of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> Adam, where can people find you online? Folks, I did not change anything. Uh, you guys can still find me at Arthur Stacy, And uh, I'm I'm looking forward to another great year of the, of the pod here. So uh, happy 2021. Uh, what are we doing next I'm week? I'm very excited. We don't. Yeah, we don't really know, know do we? Yet. 
we've got a couple of things up in the air. We'll let you. It'll be a surprise surprise <laughs> week because um, we have a couple of different options. Yes, good uh, options. Depend on how some scheduling works. Mm-hmm. Maybe there will be an interview. Maybe there will be a regular episode. We'll have to we'll have to find out. But until then, guys, this has been Bal the Atom, and we hope you survived the experience. Get it!